Got this podcast started. Get the levels up just a little bit more. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Welcome to the Wages of Cinema. I am Jack, and uh, we are back with a special presentation for you tonight. Um, we actually haven't done one of these segments in quite a long time. Uh, actually, it might have been almost a year. I, I almost feel like I've been kind of sleeping on the job a little bit. Um, but uh, yeah, we've been in the past. You might have heard uh, some of these episodes, uh, which are called local vocal episodes. Uh, this is where uh, I have conversations with uh, local filmmakers and actors and artists and other people like in the arts. Um, and when I say local, I guess you know we're in like the New York City area, so you know you know I try to do it kind of like that. Uh, uh, we tried a little experiment with Skype before. I'm not sure if we'll do that again. <laughs> we'll see how it happens. But uh, but for now, though, I'm very pleased to welcome somebody who I've wanted to have on the podcast for quite a long time. Uh, he is a filmmaker, actor, director, photographer, all-around renaissance kind of guy. Um, welcome, Alex Valderana. Thank you for having me, Jack. Yes. Why are you doing this, man? I'm yeah. such a fan of your podcast. It's oh. like surreal for me. Sitting, <laughs> sitting in this room oh man <laughs> we're, we're, we're a few men less than usually andrew looks a little different tonight from what yeah I andrew's just uh a chair tonight he's uh uh i was almost gonna make i don't want to go too far into that pool because i might turn like clint eastwood or something no i'm not i'm not that. doing that to andrew he's 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 still good he's great um but uh yeah so part of the reason why i wanted to have you on is because currently uh, for those of you who don't know, Alex Valderana is, uh, I don't know if we'd call you kind of like the brainchild or executive producer or executive all around. Yeah, the executive of, producer, I guess showrunner, whatever. Yes, there's a, a web series uh, called Nightwing Escalation, um, which you can find on, on YouTube and other social media platforms, but primarily YouTube is where that series lies. Um and uh, there, are, there are new episodes of that finally online. Yeah, man. Finally in season three, we're four episodes deep, which is crazy. I think for a long time, we were just building to those releases, and now to finally have four episodes you know, out is a great feeling, and I feel really accomplished for that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and uh, for those listeners who don't know, uh, um, like, so to just give like a brief rundown, like, I guess like I'm, like I'm NPR, like I'm Terry Gross, <laughs> I'll <laughs> set up... Uh, uh, this is where I'll put in the clip, but I don't know. I'll, I'll try to find a good one. Sure. Uh, Nightwing Escalation. It's a not-for-profit, uh, like, fan-type series. I don't know if that's a good way to describe yeah, it Yeah, like it's that. a non-profit fan series, web series, done in homage to DC Comics characters and all that. Yes, and uh, and this series in particular, it has uh, many, many twists and turns. <laughs> I, I can't... It's hard to... It's difficult to even describe certain parts of the show because yeah. you get into... Major spoilers yeah. about things. Oh yeah, I guess we can't spoil things, including the titular couch. Yeah, we might just. We end can spoil. Up I think we can spoil up to season three, but maybe, maybe not. But yeah, basically, in essence, the story yeah. begins with it's Gotham City. Batman is leaving because of Justice League business, and he leaves the city in the care of his protege, Dick Grayson slash Nightwing. Uh, <clears throat> events occur in season two, which change Gotham and pretty much the world forever. Yeah, with Nightwing and season three is all about uh, Barbara Gordon's journey to heroism and yeah. uh, things yeah, like I, that. I, I mean, I've, yeah. 
Every day, Barb, okay? I'm sure Dick would be here if he could. <laughs> Do you know where he is, Dad? He's visiting a girl. Cory. Coriander. Coriander? I bet her real name is Cilantro. They just changed it to make it sound more European. Whoa, whoa, whoa. If this is gonna work, you gotta slow down. Good. Good. You feel it? None of this would have happened if I had been faster at that door in the first place. Blaming yourself doesn't change anything. Now focus. Guys, I can't, I can't do it. It's just, it's too hard. You've got your mother's strength in you. I know you can do this. Come on. Gosh, it's, I feel so stupid. It's yeah. like I'm not moving at all. It's slow at first. I could have stopped him. I found that pretty interesting, and obviously we'll get more into yeah. in depth on sure. Nightwing as we go into the podcast. But, uh, but I really like that aspect of it. That uh, this character who who was there in the early part of the of the series uh, has even more of a presence now in season three. I've I've always liked uh, Batgirl as a character. Yeah, uh, Barbara Gordon. I've always loved. I think the main differences I would give between each season, I think season one really has, I look back on it and I actually don't hate the first episode. I mean, I wouldn't watch it like to have fun. Looking back on that, I'm like, you know, I could do much worse for the first ever like web series episode I ever put out. Like it's really not horrible. The main problem is there's not enough Nightwing in season one at all, Mm. which has reasons behind it. But like we finally gave Barbara Gordon and I think a lot of the characters, like a, an episode-by-episode, episode, episode ongoing arc, which was the problem we didn't really have in season one. There wasn't really like an ongoing arc, an ongoing yeah. threat. There was long scenes of Antoine Rotelli talking to Riddler's henchwomen on the street for like 15 minutes. And it's like, <laughs> you can't just keep having scenes like that. And I think what I've learned over the production is that less is more. And this is something any filmmaker should know anyway. But even when I was in school, I didn't really understand that concept that film is more of a visual medium and you just need to use the scenes to get your ideas across in the best way. Doesn't always involve having lots of back and forth dialogue or just sure. meaningless kind of words going back and forth. So I think yeah. in season three, we've kind of gone on the more focused route. Mm. Yeah. Well, that's uh, definitely, we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit more, but I'm almost just curious, like as far as, uh, you know, again, you've been working on the series for Ooh, a long you know, time. It's yeah, no, Since it's, it's, it's impressive. The, the commitment to this entire vision, you know, it's uh you know, some people just don't have that in them. Some people will just kind of abandon things, like abandon their children at the station and say, goodbye, kids. And <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, like when I started, you know, every filmmaker has their baby when they're going on the project. And then like they're very bright eyed and optimistic and excited as sure. they're going through it. But well, then it has it's to like, be an adventure. It is. But then the more time you spend with it sometimes, and it, maybe it's a feature film when you're wrapping up, it's like two weeks in mm-hmm. and you spent nothing but every day doing it. Yeah, you appear a little winded, you appear a little tired, your kid is, is still a kid, you still love it, but like at the same time, like, man, now I move on to something else. So there have been moments like over the past few years with this project where it's like, I'll talk to other filmmakers at some networking event or I'll meet someone who's a friend of someone and they'll be like, oh, wow, you've been on that a long time. Or are you paid for this actress to come back from L.A. to shoot this in New York to get her wrapped as Catwoman? Like, wow, you did that? Like, well, mm. man, I wouldn't have done that. And it's like... Yeah, there are many times I look back and I'm like, man, I could have walked away from this, but I don't want to walk away from a project that I've spent so much time on at this yeah. point. And now with now I really feel like I have the right team involved by mm-hmm. my side, I can get it done. And sure. 
we're on that route. But uh, I definitely feel like for, to keep actors and everybody still involved is like that's crazy in and of itself. Yes, it is. For um, this long. That's right. some of the same actors from season one still in three. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's commitment. But, uh, but getting back to the actual like whole world of, of Batman, because I'm, I'm – you know, I'm I'm an admirer of that world as well. Yeah. Uh, you know, the entire, without using the the pun, but gothic look <laughs> to it. You can't <laughs> sure. use that word goth without you know Gotham coming up anymore. Yeah. Um, it's but a very anyway, city. so does that go all the way back to like when you're a kid? Like when does when does Batman start for you? Does that uh, start with all the other comic books? Yeah, I think. Um... For whatever reason, I was not really raised religiously. I'm just like not a religious person, and hmm, I, I gravitated wasn't expecting towards, that answer. <laughs> uh, I don't know, the reason I'm saying that is because comic books kind of formed, in some way, a moral code for me to kind of follow loosely, obviously. But like, hmm. you know, good human doing the right thing, values and things like that. But also being careful about certain things or standing yeah. up for this and that. And Batman, I think, as many people have, I just gravitated towards that character because. He seemed, I mean, even though it's really, he's a billionaire, <laughs> that's the only reason he's yeah. able to do all that. But on the surface, he's a human being who's doing these incredible things. He's not like from Krypton. He's not like the king of Atlantis. He doesn't have a little ring that gives him powers. No. So it's like, it's just his his determination and his force. And Bruce Wayne's wallet. Yes, like, as, as the joke in <laughs> Justice League goes, you know, why is your power again? I'm rich. <laughs> Oh, yeah, which I, great. which by the time I watched that movie, I was a little tired of that joke. Yeah, but, um, I but laughed, it, but, like, but uh, I, didn't, I didn't laugh that hard. I just laughed. But it's interesting though. You bring up this whole idea of a moral code and, yeah. and these moral lessons because I think that sometimes that almost gets lost on certain people today. Like if they see Batman, that, you know, there are a lot of different interpretations. Well, obviously, yeah, in the films right now, I mean, that Batman is a very different Batman than the one I grew up. Yeah. With, it's a very different Batman, even from the Tim Burton one, yeah. which, Although and they, that they one have was something in common though. Those, those well, two Batman, they both like to murder people. Well, I don't know about like to murder people. Well, I let do. me put it this way. I never noticed the way that Batman if you know killing people in the Burton movies the way I do now with I mean, Zack Snyder, he killed this circus thug one of the worst ways you could go imaginable. Well, you know what though, dynamite to him, threw him in the sewer, and walked away smiling <laughs> well, as he died fire. When you watch though that scene in Batman Returns, I almost don't even think about the fact that he killed a human being. It's just because that whole sequence is so cartoonish. That whole, that whole film is so you know, like I like that film. I still do. Oh yeah, twelve year old me likes it. But I went back and watched it sometime in the last few years, and I'm like, this is so un-Batman like. It's so really? off model. Oh yeah. Yeah, I, I still I mean, think I could spend Batman a whole other podcast talking about I know, just I know. that film, but like it was honestly <laughs> yeah. Kevin Smith and Mark Menard, and they have this amazing podcast, and they did these commentaries for their first yeah. two Batman films, and. I yeah. Once they kind of broke things down scene by scene, yeah. I'm like, I know this more and more. I'm like, yeah, that that's right. Why would he do that? Yeah. Or why would that happen? Or why would this happen? Yeah. Part of the reason I also have thought about this too is because uh, <clears throat> in my my day job when I teach, um, every semester I give them this essay that uh, I think it must have come out like a year or so after The Dark Knight, and it's called Should Batman Kill the Joker? And you know, it, it mm. part of the essay goes into some other things about like. It actually it extends into like the real world about how we, you know, like tor- you know, like does America torture or not? Do, you know, how, what example do we give to the world and all that type of stuff? But I give it to them. I give this essay because 
immediately they have an answer one way or another yeah if batman should kill the joker you know, and it's it's that classic moral question for the character you know that's been in almost every iteration <clears throat> of his world with the joker in the dark knight like he has his one rule and things and Obviously, that one rule went out the window when Snyder took over, but... <laughs> <laughs> when he wanted to have his big Batman beats the living, yeah. beats everybody to death scene. I did like that fight scene, but, like, yeah. But to me, Batman does not kill. I, I don't really care if, if he lost Jason Todd in the storyline beforehand, and that's what drove him over the edge. If that's what happened, <laughs> and especially, I mean, I guess maybe I would be pissed, too, if my psychic <clears throat> was murdered by Jared Leto as, like, a street... <laughs> <laughs> I, I would be angry if well. I yeah I was gonna say like that's, if that's worse if than my if my si- if my sidekick was killed by like Grill's Joker <laughs> then I think I would be a little mad too right, if I was so, if, if my if my apprentice was killed by like like the, the hunka, growling hunka. hunka hunk yeah exactly um but going back to uh, like so when you were a kid so your your parents were you know they they weren't like the type of parents who were like oh you. Don't read those comic books. They're they're junk. Uh, no, they really weren't. Although they, I remember growing up, and it was in the '90s, and Batman animated series was really coming to forefront. Right. And I I wanted to watch it, but at the time, all I'd known of that Batman of Batman for me was some of the comic books, but also Adam West, yeah, and Burt Ward and the whole '60s Batman show. So I was thought that you know he's yes he's serious, but he's goofy. But then I watched the animated series. I think the first episode I saw was the Feet of Clay episode, the Clayface, and Batman struggles with some thugs in that. That's very visceral. Like the guy holds him up against like this moving cog wheel thing, this giant, very Dick Sprang wheel, and Batman's like really struggling to get out of it, and he hurts the guy to get out of it. But like the violence portrayed in that show, and the themes, and the writing, and the characterization was light years ahead of what mm. they were doing with the character, and that was my first exposure to it. My oh. mom did not want me to watch it on the regular if i remember oh, really? right and she definitely did not want me to see batman returns because hmm. there's that famous catwoman scene which got everything in an uproar where she oh. like saves the woman who's seemingly about to get raped or something by one of the thugs and she huh. has like this tic-tac-toe thing with her claw and there's like a close-up of the guy all bloody oh. with the claw marks do you remember that scene yeah well yeah 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 no i do yeah and uh you know she somehow learned martial arts when she fell off the roof <laughs> <laughs> she beats the guy up hey and- it- I could go on that Catwoman for uh, another 30 minutes, too. But uh, well, very we'll, we'll, we'll do that get, off mic. get a lot of hate mail. It's okay. Yeah, I was going to say, you might have words with Corey when we get off oh, mic. Oh, boy. <laughs> that's Wish her, she was that, here to hear me. That's her favorite, that's her favorite Batman. Oh, God. All right. Um, well, but anyway, but on to... So, so yeah, yeah. But they didn't really want me... And re- Returns, as I've said before, even to a kid, it's mm. very off model and maybe well, well because it's almost more of a Burton movie than a Batman movie. Yeah, it's movie. really... He's, he's a director who's stylistically very different and visually gifted um and i love some of his films i definitely think he with the second film he was given a lot more leeway with the studio to do sure. to Britonize it however he wanted and he wanted to focus on the tortured misunderstood characters uh, sure cobblepod serena kyle more interested in them than bruce wayne's journey and yeah. whatever he was doing batman in that film was just reacting yeah. to things this and- is just kind of a weird side note but one of the things that I think that now, uh, when I see, when I watched Batman Robin again, <laughs> I have more fun with that film than Batman v Superman. I'll tell you that. Well, well, who doesn't? You know, Arnold Schwarzenegger kills it. All right, everyone, you. But no, the thing that's unsettling and what makes that movie fail to me is the fact that he's, you know, Joel Schumacher was trying to do a 
you know, I'm going to do like a, remember every, like before he would do a take, he would actually yell out his megaphone. Remember everyone, this is a cartoon, <laughs> but oh, then, yeah. but he George still, but, about that. Yeah. yeah, but there were still parts that were left over from the Burton universe, yes. like Alfred dying plot line. Everyone uh. glosses over that. <laughs> I'm gonna drive. I'm gonna die from McGregor's. I'll tell you what. If you rewatch the film, which I did recently <laughs> with my roommates, the only scene where Clooney gives emotion is he has this bedside scene with Alfred, where he like first learns about the disease that's ailing yeah. him and shit, mm-hmm. and like he begins. He's like near tears, and he's really giving it in the scene. It's the only scene. Every other scene, he's bobbing his head, and he's like, "I'm Batman, Bane. Where are you going?" Well, I you think that under under a different director oh, yeah. and a whole other. S- you know, Clooney an entirely been different an scenario. He wasn't a great Bruce Wayne. That, what was that? The American. That I saw that movie, and I'm like, yeah, he could totally yeah. do a serious torture guy. Movie. Like that's that guy. Yeah. If he brings that and makes it Bruce Wayne. Mm-hmm. I think that'd be an interesting film to see. Yeah. And if Robin didn't look mm-hmm. like he was like 35 years old, mm-hmm. would have been cool. But getting back to so the animated series that actually was that your first exposure before the comics? Um, I'd say it was either the comic books or the um, Adam West show, which got me into yeah. it. But cause, cause nineties comics were rough. I, I didn't, re- yeah, like I, <laughs> I didn't really, I didn't on. really get into comics in the nineties and that might've been why, because they, they were, frankly weren't they were very so desperate. good. The industry was failing and they were trying any gimmick they could. Let's break Batman's back. Let's kill Superman. Let's bring him back. Let's have Spider-Man have a bunch of clones and, you know, Carnage teams up with all these villains and murders thousands of people in New York City. Let's have that as a storyline. Yeah. We gotta do anything we can to get uh hmm. let's re let's do Heroes Reborn with the Marvel comics right. and all this. Like they were desperate. It was mm. weird timing. Yeah. But uh so your parents though, did they like did they try to get like get you aware to watch a lot of movies? Like were you watching them on your own? Oh wow. Where did that seed begin? Um and I really think it may have started with my love of kaiju and Godzilla films when I was yeah. very young. So where does that start? Like, was that just I don't on TV? Exactly. No, when it started, I know I came down. So like, your parents never sat you down and said you're watching Godzilla today. <laughs> they hooked me up like Alex and Clockwork Orange. Because <laughs> I watched, I didn't really see the Godzilla movies until it's, 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 it's true irony. But I did not see the gods those Godzilla movies from the 60s until I was until the Godzilla movie came out in 98. Oh, the, uh, no, no, not no, not 20, no, not 2014. Yeah, 98 because the Dean Devlin movie. No, because they but the thing was uh, they would play the Godzilla movies the on TV. Yeah. They had marathons oh, and that's I how I first marathons. saw them. I miss those. Yeah, but uh, uh, I don't know where it started with him. I I know that a lot of kids love dinosaurs, right? It's just something right. a lot of kids Jurassic tend, Park. To, tend to love. Yeah. And Godzilla just seemed cool because he was like this bigger dinosaur with all these plates coming out of his back that lit up and he like had this atomic ray that came out of his mouth and mm-hmm. he was a villain but he was also a hero and he had all these other monsters he teamed with or fought and it's all very comic booky and ridiculous looking back on it but like i think I, I i began to watch some of the films in the 60s and sometimes the company toho which was the production company behind mm-hmm. godzilla they would save money by using stock footage and i began to pick up on this this shot that's not the same mm. godzilla suit in this shot and oh. why is this all different and i began to realize that they were like continuity errors. yeah there were all these things <laughs> that they didn't give a shit about covering up they're like having it's clearly the same having godzilla. king kong be exactly the same size as godzilla yeah and he looks like he's in a shitty monkey oh, outfit oh my god and he somehow has electricity coming out of his hands if he's struck by lightning <laughs> which gives didn't him an edge have- that didn't pissed they have, me off so wasn't much. Wasn't Frankenstein's monster? They did. A they, kaiju? they did. Uh, Frankenstein conquers the world. Yeah. Yeah. Where like they made Frankenstein <laughs> kaiju level when he fought like another Godzilla-like beast called Baragon. Yeah, that was a that's a good film actually. Mm. Um. Now, did you have like 
so when you got obsessed with this, did you have anyone to share like the uh, obsession? Probably with my parents. So did they, so they kind of indulged you like, were they into it at all? Yeah. They, they were, they were always supportive of things that I liked within reason like that. And I think Godzilla is a fairly harmless uh, character to, to enjoy. It's not Batman returns. Yeah. It's not Batman returns. <laughs> it's, it's You're not having not. a scene where Godzilla it, does yeah. the tic-tac-toe. No, no. Although some films he did get pretty bloody in the seventh but like no yeah and i don't know I, it just struck me but i think then when i went to college at hofstra i started off with a print journalism major and oh that okay. didn't really go anywhere for a few years and i had to take a new media course as a prerequisite with what i was taking and we did some film analysis hmm. i think of american beauty and i just began to see that there's a lot more and I'd always hmm. love critiquing films and seeing films. I guess that started kind of with my dad, maybe. But, oh, really? Um, so would he would he take you to see certain he, films? Uh, he definitely made it like a priority to see films like Terminator Two oh. or Aliens or The Matrix at a certain point, like that. I or, film, or even I can't remember other films. Like, but films that I, I, hmm. I should see. And my right. mom too. They both fostered well, that's this always like, important. love of the arts. Yeah, you got to have that because some. I mean, it's not like. There are people who end up finding it for themselves, but the, it really helps if you can have Someone like that older sibling, you or yeah. you know, like you my, my it, but... yeah, because my mother was the one who kind of opened that door for me. Yeah, and, awesome. you know, you know, tell you know, you mu- you should watch Taxi Driver and yeah, and watch. Uh, oh my god! And, and sending me down at twelve. Here's Goodfellas. Yeah. And... <laughs> okay, that's awesome. Man. You need to have like those moments. Yeah. Um, so no, that helped. But did what... I have? A, I'm curious. Did was he the one that uh, introduced you to Jaws? I think he was the guy who introduced me Cause, to Jaws. Because you told me yeah. that. Cause Jaws you told is me my that's... favorite film. Yeah, I think it may have been probably the. I probably saw E.T. beforehand. I didn't know the difference of who directed who at the time. But then oh. I, I saw Jaws to the oven and just the story and how it was put together it really struck me. And then the more I got into film in college and went back on it, I'm like, this is really a masterpiece because I learned about the production history the story of the filming and how nightmarish it was and that, how it challenged them so much as a filmmaker. The book and, by Carl Gottlieb. Yeah, it's great. I mean, but the, the actual book Jaws is horrible, though. I've never oh, done, I've heard it's not... It's bad, man. Because uh, they... they it, also, he throws in this weird subplot with Hooper and, and Brody's wife and, just, <laughs> and he like, explicitly <laughs> describes this time they meet up at like a dinky motel on the island and it's just <laughs> really weird and... Yeah, know. and I guess he did that to create tension and conflict later yeah. when they're out at sea trying to get it's, draws. But... It's an interesting movie that if I ever get to have like a like a popular cinema class to teach or something, that would be a good oh, one. I would love it. You know, aside from some of the set pieces, just the structure of it is structure. unusual because like it's in it's really a movie in two halves. Yeah, I mean, you could try to break it down. Oh, here's where you know, because usually movies are Act One, Act Two, Act Three, but that's a movie where it's very distinctly. The first hour is everything with the beach and everything yeah, with yeah. the the town of Amity and and it was like it's like a murder like it's like a, it's like a mystery story. Yeah. It's yeah. like who is this shark? Where are we finding out about right. it? And then, and like, then the second the half, Fourth of July is really, and then like all that all the stuff goes down that day. It's like okay, now shit's real. And then the second half, you know, there are parts of that where it's you know it's just three characters. Yeah, just out in the boat, you know, and, and on <laughs> with drunk Robert Shaw, drunk, picking, on, uh, picking on Hooper all day. Yeah. <laughs> Oh man, yeah. Oh. So that that struck with me, and then obviously Star Wars formed in there. Like many people, I, I loved that. And then I think I I got more into horror films like Halloween oh. and Alien. And I think Halloween is my favorite horror film I've seen. Sure. And, uh, that 
Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Psycho. I got the Hitchcock from there. Everything just diverted into different avenues. When I was in school, I was able to just okay. look at everything as a bigger picture. So really, uh, Hofstra was the one where things started to really crystallize. Yeah. Like yeah, maybe in high did. school, you weren't quite sure I yet. wasn't. Although um, in middle school, I, I, I worked for the school newspaper, and I was oh. infamously writing a review where I, I saw the new John Bond film. What was it? World is Not Enough. John Bond? John, uh, <laughs> John Bon Jovi film, <laughs> where he played James Bond, and people didn't oh, like it. Oh, James Bond. Yes. The World is Not Enough. And I stupidly credited not pierce brosnan as bond but sean connery so i got like made fun of so much this is middle school back then but like sure. I, I always did like reviewing films like other than that one little mishap i think i was on point although mm. that's not a very good film <laughs> no, it's, no it's not uh, it's but, not as bad as die another day it's but not, it's not die another day is oh it's horrible <laughs> um but look yeah so then I, I got more into the classes i took and i joined this club called the hofstra filmmakers club or the mm. hfc i don't even know if it's still there it probably is but what they do is every semester they'd have like a festival they'd work towards and they'd right you'd you know you'd go through pre-production processes you'd work on treatments and breakdown and character and then script oh. and then you'd read scripts and get them approved and if they got approved oh. you could build a crew and they'd give you the school equipment needed to do this film you had, oh, you'd okay. have to pay that for food ve- transportation well, that all sounds that. very structured because that's more it than... was organized as shit yeah because like, I... back it was pretty pretty cool yeah because at my college we had a like a student film association but that was much looser that was just like well yeah we'll go make something but wow so so yeah so you had to get stuff approved uh yeah they didn't want to just green light any script so like any film i did i did two films when i was in the hfc uh the first my first ever short film was called illusions of happiness it's horrible. It's on YouTube somewhere. <laughs> no, the, Looking back. I believe really me, we nice all have our college shot. movie that it's like better not seen. It's Yeah, for the most part. But I look back and I'm like, man, the opening shot's this long, like dolly shot. It's a long take. And I don't I don't cut for a while. I'm like, that's kind of okay. If it's the first shot I ever put up there, that's fine. But like, yeah. And then you'd, you'd work with obviously student film actors or just playing actors in general. But you learn about the process. You learn because you're really shooting it and you have a budget and you have to stick to it. And um, you have to then get the huh. lock of the other ready for the festival. And then you'd have it there and there'd be awards and all that. So would it be a type of thing where you had your film, but then you would work on other students' projects? You could, yeah. It's all what you wanted to do. <clears throat> I mean, um, I always wanted to work on other films just to get more experience. The first film I worked on was due to my friend Mike Kalesa. He brought me on, I don't remember, the, his short film that he was doing. And they needed a location in Long Island that this could be this girl's house. It was like a girl in college in the story. Um, and that I, I know in HFC, I helped them a lot at the time because I knew the island well. And a lot of people who were attending Hofstra in the HFC were not New Yorkers. They would come yeah. from other states. And so I was able to find them like a forest here, uh, a house here, another friend's house here. And I was able to help produce. So I really started as a producer helping other mm. filmmakers projects and stuff. And then I jump on this crew because I wanted to get more experience. I wanted to be multifaceted and it would help me later because I learned that you have to be pretty multifaceted in film. I think if you just do one thing, kudos to you. Now, I'm, but like, now I'm curious, in the department, was it, because uh, I had the, t- the type of experience where, like, for the first half of my college years, they were actually, it was like the end of film. Like, we were actually using real film cameras, and then the sec- near the end, we finally got into a little bit of digital, 
Was it like all digital at Hofstra? Uh, it was segueing into it. I mean, when I first, when I got the Hofstra, they were still using shooting on Bolexes, which I, yeah. I fucking hated at the time. <laughs> Looking back though oh. now, like like it's an interesting. I would camera. love it though now. Well, yeah, but I just the idea it, the shooting on film is it. not such an ordinary thing now that like oh, yeah. it attracts to, it's attractive to me more because mm. of that. Um, yeah, you know, however more expensive it may be, but I didn't know. This is funny now, but I didn't know how to control the f-stop. I didn't know how to control yeah. the exposure. I didn't know how to develop the film, how to edit it. I remember I asked embarrassingly for help in the HFC office, and I just kind of got laughed out the window. And oh. Oh, yeah, sorry. man. I mean, it just—I didn't was know it, what I was doing. So was it a was like the was like the film culture there? Was it like was it a good culture? Was it a place where you could feel like you were like in, inspired to work? Like, were the people there okay, or was it like a little? Like not that great. Um, because you're you're kind of giving me a face. I know. Like, I'm trying. Know. I'm, it's been a while since I've spoken about it, and I don't think anybody who went to HFC or Hofstra is gonna be listening to this. But if they are, I'm not like singling you people out. I mean, it's whatever. And but I, I in my experience during that time at that age, yeah, I felt like it was very political, and I oh, felt really? like they definitely favored certain people. And I think the breaking point for me, which was impactful in my overall experience at Hofstra in general, was that like. My second film, I didn't have any editing control over. I tried to, oh, and then huh. it was the first time I acted in something, too, which See, I also a... directed with somebody else. And, like, huh. you know, it goes up on the screen, and it was my first introduction <clears throat> is why I wanted to act as well, to put myself in the actor's oh. shoes. Is like, wow, they chose, like, really crappy takes. I look like I don't know what the hell I'm doing in this scene. Wow, really? And this makes me look horrible. See, it makes that's... me look like a, a director who just put himself in there but had no business acting, and I knew wow. that I gave sincere takes, and it wasn't in there. And... Then there was a film which won the awards that year. I don't remember what, what semester it was or whatever. That had Hofstra grads in it. And like uh, cameos by Hofstra professors and faculty. And was longer than the allotted time of the film should be oh. or something. So it, it bent always... these rules which we had been told to follow as HFC uh, members. And I got kind of upset. And you know I think it's just <laughs> emblematic of the industry. And I look back and I'm like, good. I'm glad I went through that because... <laughs> well... In reality, yeah, it's the industry is not always going to be kind. It's not always going to be fair, and there's going to be groups oh. that are favored, and there's going to be power plays, and you're going to have to hmm. push people out of the way sometimes huh. to get what you need. And it's not always, it's never clean. I don't think. I think to, I learned a lot going through that because I got burnt a few times. Other people got burnt, and um, yeah, I mean, I think that's the purpose of it is to go through and fall and stumble and get up. Like you have to learn. Okay how uneven and how chaotic a film okay. a day shooting is. Okay, that's your explanation actually went somewhere different than I, than I expected because at first my, my instinct when I first heard that was, you know, you're in college. This is the time when yeah. you should, you know, yeah. you should be allowed to make what you're going to make. And yeah. you should, yeah. you know, you should be able to make like creative mistakes uh, and do all that kind of stuff because i mean i'm sure when i look again i look back at some of the stuff i made in college at the time at the time i thought oh i'm making like this is high i'm, art. I'm making cool. yeah I'm, I'm making the next godar film <laughs> yeah. i'm the shit and yeah, then like uh, i would show it to my my friends and they'd be like what, what is this yeah but, i'm sure like but no but on the, other, was a full himself but, but on the other hand though what you're saying though is interesting though because you're you have a little bit of like a philosophical take on it now uh. where <laughs> no but you almost maybe did learn some lessons there that no, i did maybe intended you're not carried over into that because when you tell me like that somebody took away your edit on a college film that's just kind of crazy i don't remember exactly how it went down uh you you have like a you have like a spartacus uh dune experience yeah i got locked out of the editing room a little bit uh he had edited my first film illusions of happiness so when it came to time to do waiting whales my second film like yeah i i wanted to have more of a hand in it but 
I just remember it being a very combative relationship and mm. I would suggest changers and he didn't think they were good changers so he wouldn't implement them and mm. yeah uh were there any people in like exhausting. your were there any people in like that group at Hofstra that went on to do things like that you that honestly I don't know man I mean uh I'll be honest like I don't keep in touch with many people from Hofstra I could count them on barely one hand there's a few filmmakers who helped me since then on Nightwing Escalation and other projects and others who I do keep in touch with who happen mm. I see them in Astoria uh but the majority of them moved to LA as many do and I don't know some of them are working for some companies probably now I don't think they've done anything major as far as a feature film I could be wrong I mean who knows somebody could be listening and be like oh fuck you Alex you know what I've done and maybe <laughs> they're sure, right and if that's make, the case all, then, all email wages of cinema at gmail.com right, you can find me on Instagram and just hate mail me there <clears> I don't really care but I don't think they care and good for them if they're doing stuff <clears> I'm glad they kept going man but ultimately though you at, at the end of the day you did at least pick up some things you were able to go there get a little bit of film education you got to use a camera, yeah. you got to produce. It was a good program. The know? thing that I'm curious, though, so, yeah, because I was almost wanted to ask about the acting part, because that's something that I've known that you've done a little bit more acting here and there over the years. Uh, so did that start at Hofstra? Were you interested in that uh, along with directing? Yeah, yeah, I guess. I don't know exactly how it began, but I, I just wanted to try. I, I would read books on filmmaking and just see that I'm not going to really understand the, some of the struggles the performers going through in yeah. a scene as we're in, as we're in whatever, whoever's living room shooting <clears> that like, I want to understand that struggle. I want to understand the emotional complexities of a scene from an acting perspective and yeah. the choices they have to make to build the scene as well. So last night I got called to go to the apartment that Kalesa and Falcone were having some nightwing trouble at. I find a bullet hole right between the eyes of Jane Kalesa. And suddenly I get this notion that something else is going on. But that can't be true, right? Sounds like you had a fun evening. When did you start thinking for yourself? Did you get the hard drive or not? Tell me what's going on. I could have been killed. You know that? Who's the shooter? Was it one of ours? Does it really matter? You're alive, aren't you? Tell me what's going on, Renoa. Have a good night, Agent Brooks. As much as a lighting choice or a camera choice, like I need, it's important for me to know that. So I just began pursuing that. And then after this kind of fallout with HFC that semester, I actually dropped out and it was pretty oh. irresponsible of me and bad at the time, you know, but I was going through stuff. I was burnt out. I was not oh. feeling Hofstra anymore. So my parents wanted me to continue pursuing it, and I think they got a little worried that I wasn't going to finish my education. As oh, you know, I well, totally sure. understand where they, the, the mindset they were in. Right, not even like a few months later, I was put into Five Towns College, which was also in Long Island, further oh. out east. And I literally got there, and like the day, <laughs> the first day, they were teaching you like rudimentary lighting things, and this oh. is a camera, and this is a tripod, and this is a type of shot, and this is a type of lighting, and this is. And I'm like, man, I've been there. I've done this. But the good thing I, I took there was there was an acting course for, for film, which I took. 
But even that was a little problematic because I don't think I'm that gifted a performer, I'll be honest. So no, when... but the reason I ask is because, I mean, I've seen, you know, for example, you know, we mentioned Nightwing earlier in the podcast, and you, you play a character on yes, that. Yes, Agent Brooks. Yeah, you play this agent uh, who's kind of play, like almost like in a departed type scenario yeah, where he's I'm playing glad you both that. sides. He's totally written after. Well, actually, I saw that film recently the other night. Um, oh really? So it was inspired by that. I I'm watching just... the film again. I don't want to spoil things, but there's a lot of moments in it that yeah clearly harkened back to The Departed. I mean, I think that was the first Scorsese film I saw in theaters, and I just oh. I was in, it was at a, the perfect time in college where I was like all about everything film and like right. like cin- mise en scène and <clears throat> cinema verite. And that is a good movie for someone who's hungry yes, for film to get it into. Just, it inspired me. So Brooks is totally written after that. But, so um, that was something that. So that was something you intentionally wrote for yourself that you knew that you could play. Uh, it's oh or, boy, or I well, I know. Exactly I don't, maybe that's a whole other story it, we could get into. There's a lot to, to Brooks, but um, well, I was at Five Towns in the acting. But class. yeah, but going back to that. But the point why I bring it up is because. Sure. You know, I do see that there. You know, you making choices, and you aren't oh. just you aren't just in there because oh hey, this is my project, and I get to play this part. No, you know, you. No, I do think. Um, yeah, I, I, I've looked at the performances in season three I've had, and, and two and one honestly, and I really feel like yeah, I think I've held my own with some other really talented performers who are more talented than I am in certain scenes. I feel like Dina and I have this really nice scene in season one, yeah. and I'm just like yeah, no, I I but, learned a lot and I pushed myself and. That was my big takeaway from Five Towns was that like I was able to kind of refine that a bit, and um, hmm. I didn't get as much steering as I wanted. And I think a lot of the performances I've had are due to like the directors I've worked with on Nightwing, whether it's Jared DeCroach or David Gibbons or Zach Abramowitz. But you know they would help me get me to a performance. But a lot of times, I then I began to trust myself as a performer because I'd see these scenes come out and sure. know the capabilities of the performers I'm acting in the scene with, mm-hmm. and I'm like. And if they compliment me after, then you know what? I think I'm doing okay. You sure. Know, and I'm not doing that bad. And there's some big, there's some really big scenes for Brooks coming up, and I'll be like, yeah, oh, great. So I'm excited to see that. I think. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. So five towns. So you graduated from there. No, or I did didn't you... graduate, man. Oh. I'm, I I'm never sorry. finished. Well, That's all good. Don't worry about it. I mean, it, it was a regret for a while, as it as it should be <clears> in anyone's head after that. But again, I just, I was burnt out. I was not about college at that point. And I'd, I'd done so much work at that point right. on films outside of a, a college system that, like, I, I'm like, I don't really need a degree in film to get ahead in this industry. No, well, There's so many yeah. who don't. And I think but, my parents wanted to have that security, and I think it's a very societal thing and, mm-hmm. uh, and true in many other fields that you have to have a degree. But clearly, as you know... <laughs> the country is not the same as it was and with every year well, it's well, very it's, different well now. it's not and, just well it's about well you, you're hard to get a job but it's also about you know a country that might not respect the arts as much as they should let's exactly. get down to the no you know, I mean, no bullshit it down, part of it it's it's absolutely a fact and uh film is not an a to b journey in any way no there's, uh, there's a lot there's of twists luck. and turns and there's many times at different family events where i'm sitting down for the meal and you know, uh, it's just even if I explain what I'm doing with Nightwing or my uh, my ambitions after Nightwing ends, the people at the table, family members or friends, are not going to completely understand it. They just don't get it. They don't get the struggle. Mm. They don't get the drama. They don't get like what someone on the film set could go through or how many decisions a director has to make on a single shooting weekend. It almost sounds like a hobby. It can, yeah, because a lot of times you're not getting money back for it. On mm. a certain project, you might pay people who work with you, like the DP, yeah. the makeup artist, the actors, whatever. Are you getting paid? Probably not. And at the end of the day, on some projects, 
directing and producing can feel kind of thankless. It just is a reality of it. Mm-hmm. I'm able to look past that at the bigger picture. But um, I just think, yeah, there are times. Like, one of the biggest things I did in 2009 was a feature film called Batman Hothouse. Yeah, which was, like, well, 40 well, minutes long. Well, I was going to get to that. Like, how did... Uh, so, you know, kind of jumping... I know we're jumping around yeah. a tiny bit, but I'm curious then. So, so the thing with college kind of falls apart a little Fizzled bit out, for, yeah. I guess, a number of reasons. Right. Um, but was the intention then to go right into making something, or did you like? Was it I'm going to make this like Batman fan film? Was it a different project before that? Like, because I'm, I, I'm, I've always been kind of curious to ask if it was that first right away. Uh, Hot House, I think, was put in the production while I was finishing up my time at Hofstra. Oh, okay. It was done the same year I shot my last HFC film there. And so it was the fall semester, which would have been that, you know, iconic festival for me, at least in my life, where I began getting disillusioned with it. But um, Hot House was done that summer. And um, it was like, I look back at it, I'm pretty proud of it. Like, I I remember we screened it. We had some, like, bad movie Hmm. night with Jared carlos and a few other friends of mine where we watched like early work and we just got drunk and it's like yeah but then looking back and that ended i'm like wow you know what carlos was like yeah that's a lot better than the season one of nightwing like there was a there was an <laughs> act one there was a purpose there was this there was that it was very simple yeah but like I, it's, it's, it was I, I think very I've, expensive like if i've seen bat it if i have seen batman hothouse i i apologize i actually haven't seen it in a long time that's okay um <laughs> it's totally fine i mean I do think it's a chore to sit through from some perspectives. Like, I remember, but there is a simplicity to it. I remember that, that Batman works. looked a little bulky. Right. Uh, <laughs> so our Batman was played by an actor named Brian Morton, who works a lot on the West Coast with the Bat in the Sun production. Like, he's okay. very involved with them. Yeah. He also designs a lot of the movie posters that you all climber to watch and see in the movie theaters. Oh, really? He's done a ton. So of he's them. a graphic yeah. designer. Yes, very successful. Okay. Really yeah, I didn't nice mean guy. that. I didn't mean to down, oh, no, I'm just put saying, down by saying bulky. Brian, I'm sure you're so pissed right now. <laughs> Not that you ever listen to this, but like, yeah, no, uh, he had a very. Uh, I forget. I think a Reeves FX Jim Jim Lee hush cowl and suit. And he had the gray and, and the blue, but he also had the perfect Kevin Conroy voice where he could just nail it. And mm. yeah, he and the guy who played Gordon, uh, Joe Farstano, were, I think, the best parts of that film. Nick Thornhill commits suicide right in his backyard. Sad. Dramatic way to exit. Jim. Good to see him. The victim tonight. Suicide. Was a cornerstone of the community. Not my first choice for an overdose or a suicide. Not our only choices. There's no evidence of anything else. Pamela Isley. What did she call herself when she was chasing you around last year? Poison Ivy. So did that come about, though, uh, as far as the whole idea and intention to shoot that? Was that more because the... You know, because that was when uh, Christopher Nolan was having his yes. Batman coming so, out. Yes, so it was the same year Dark Knight came out. I was uh, obviously inspired by that. And uh, I grew up, I remember in high school watching um, the Grayson fan film and Batman Dead End on YouTube. Yes, And yeah. I was like, these are incredible. These are better than anything I've seen in live action Batman. Yeah, for those of you who for those of you listening who don't know what Batman Dead End is, uh, go on YouTube and type in Batman Dead End. And you will basically get just like like a buckshot of 10 minutes of, you know, total geek heaven. It's Batman, it's Joker, it's the Predator. Predator. It's basically a Batman Predator movie. It's amazing. 
Um, and <laughs> and it was actually not badly. It done. was really well done for for what it was. And Grayson <clears throat> was actually Grayson was about a world where Batman is killed and Dick Grayson has to find his murderer and he sets off on this quest and it's like in the future and he's like in his 40s or late 30s and he's like with Barbara Gordon and he's done being Robin but this propels him back into the outfit to find Batman's murderer which is similar (laughs) considering where season 3 went although that wasn't the plan at all Um, Hmm. but I think yeah I was just inspired to do a fan film at the time I thought it could be a good avenue, a good calling card, something great to have on a reel, a resume, whatever, mm, as long yeah. as it's done and done right. And well, that's... it shows what you can do with a budget and cutting corners and right. telling a good story. And um I don't think Hot House achieved all of those things, but I definitely think I I went through so much crap on that film as a filmmaker and mm. it really did break me and really I was doing stupid things too. Like uh my parents were helping me out with the money, but then I overspend and oh. like so I learned lessons there as far as budget and trust and all that. And more than that, it was more just that, like, there was a – it was a tightly scheduled thing, and mm. uh, we didn't have that much time to shoot it. And Brian was in and out of New York. Uh, the actress who played Poison Ivy was in and out of New York at times because she came from Maryland or Massachusetts or one of the two. And it just – when we had them, we had them, and the things would go wrong. Like, we were supposed to shoot this big climatic fight scene with Batman trying to get Poison Ivy, and she has, like, this – thug who's hopped up on the fictional drug Eden Spring which makes him powerful and uh, he fights Batman but we're trying to shoot it in this park in Long Island one night and we had rented a generator from Home Depot to light it Oh wow! and literally we get there and there's a forecast of rain it's starting to drizzle a bit but we're hopeful we can keep going because we only have this night before everyone goes back out of New York again for another few weeks it's already like August Yeah. and uh, of course they can't get the generator going it starts pouring and the actors are trying to get really snippy. And it, it was a hostile environment. Like, for some reason, I remember the DP and I butted heads a lot. Uh, he wanted things. I wanted things. We couldn't get on the same page. I'd never worked with him beforehand. The DP I wanted to work with was not around that summer. Oh. So there was this, like, very much crew siding with Alex mentality against most of the actors, except for Batman and Jim Gordon, who are on the crew side. And you, you can't have a set like that. It's no, volatile. No, yeah, you um, got Yeah, you gotta have like a good cohesive unity. unit. Yeah, and uh, we did not have that. <clears throat> um, and it was tense. And I probably had way too much on my shoulders, and I didn't have enough help uh, at certain points. And people tried to help, but to the best of their capabilities. I mean, there were some people I leaned on, especially for help, and they definitely came through. But it was very difficult, and I made a lot of dumb decisions. And. Oh mistakes and so it was kind um, of like film school 2.0 yeah because i was free of the hofstra system and i could do what i wanted and it it really pushed me hard and there was a day where we had to shoot this scene where batman and jim gordon meet on the rooftop and then there's another scene because we were shooting at the location where batman meets with poison ivy on the rooftop we had this location in new york city in midtown and i like a freaking naive idiot parked my my mom's minivan, which was we called it the war van, like the Punisher, because we had had all the equipment in it and everything. <laughs> and uh, we par- I parked it right by a bar in Midtown, thinking that, of course, it wouldn't get towed. This is the most naive, <sighs> stupid New Yorker story I'll ever tell, and it's fine. No, d- d- so we're shooting. If, if you are, if you are, you know, uh, uh, so everybody who goes to New York has their New York towed story. <laughs> 
That was my I, New York I, I had, story. I had, a, I had a short. Sure. I had a short film in college that was inspired specifically <laughs> by my car being towed in New York City. If you can believe oh, that shit, I, I believe it. So we were filming on the roof, and I'm all this is the, the towing occurred. I had no freaking idea. So at a certain point, we're wrapped, and my um my former unfortunately late producer Andrew James Nelson and I went downstairs. We're going down the street to get to go to a diner and get menus. We're gonna get food. We've been working for five six hours. We haven't eaten. Shooting is going great. We're getting great footage. The rooftop location is is amazing. The mm. actors are really killing it. We're doing some nice dolly shots. We're really proud of it. Um. Then I realized to my horror as we're going to the diner in the city that, oh, my car is gone. Where did it go? And then slowly, 10 minutes seeps in. I'm like, okay, the van is gone. Everyone has to go back to work tomorrow, most of us, except for some of the crew members. And I have nowhere to stow all this equipment. We, we hauled up to this roof. I have no way of getting home. I'm going to have to either find a way to branch out people on certain cars that got us here to the city location, take the Long Island Railroad back to wherever they have to go or elsewhere. And probably finance some of that. And this is really overwhelming. Plus the towing fee, well, plus yeah. dinner for everybody, oh. which I now can't take care of, and we can't stop and eat because there's there's this alarm about to go off. Yeah. So the crew and I begin to, we don't want to alert everybody because they're still working upstairs. The DP, the actress, and Brian, who's playing Batman, and mm -hmm. Gordon. And Gordon knew, and he was on it, and we just kind of had this little. We were trying to keep it quiet because we didn't want them to freak out that this kind of occurred because they knew how screwed we'd be if they found out that the van was no longer in the city. Or it was in the city, but not where it was parked. And it was the first night I had to, like, kind of think of a, of a plan hours ahead. Like, okay, and the next morning, my co-director, Kat, she has to do this and this and this and that by this time. Because we have another shoot planned at this time. There's an actress we're supposed to shoot in this scene with Poison Ivy at this office at this time, which we, we no longer can do. So she has to let them know by this and this and that. And at the same time, we have to have the prop master pick up this for this set at this time. And the makeup artist has to be ready by this time, and all. And I, and this is me thinking, like, also getting everybody home, getting everybody happy, and trying to tell them in the way where they don't like lash out at me for being careless or whatever, wow. and just keep us level-headed. That's, that's rough. But it was an important night for me because I, I I saw quickly how much like heavy lies the crown. Like everything fell on my shoulders. Um, and if the actors from Hot House are listening, then I totally understand how they may have had problems with me because. I was overtaxed. I was way overstressed. I was uh, doing stupid things with money for the mm. budget, and I just wasn't taking care of things because I didn't know how to. No one right. steered me to be like, "This is what you should do." Well, well, that's the thing is that you know you can learn in film school about like, well, here's a little bit of here, here's a little bit of a money working with actors. Here, here's you know, but they don't tell you. Well, here's what a line producer does. No, here's what like tell you that. here's what somebody that figures out a budget does. Here's what exactly. like here's yeah. what a you know associate producers do. Totally, totally. You know, you end up you know because that's end up, you know when I that was kind of similar to my experience where you know you, you sometimes feel like everything is on oh you to yeah. do things. And like and even on like Green Eyes, I felt that way. Even though I had more people there. You know, like... It's tough because at the end of the day, only you know the story you're really trying to tell. You can mm -hmm. impart that knowledge to others. And I've been lucky with season three where most of the producers know mm. the type of story you want to tell. And I think that's why it's cohesive, even though there's different directors and different some visual styles going on. It's all it feels of a piece. It and feels more like a TV show in a way. Yeah, because we all know we're working towards why we're doing it, what the purpose is. Yeah. I think with Hot House... At a certain point, people just wanted to get it done. And believe me, I'm sure there's people on Nightwing, including me at times, who just want to get it done. <laughs> I get it. I'm there. Um, but at the time, yeah, it, I learned a lot. And it all worked out, sort of, in the end. Mm. But, like, 
Yeah, that was that was the, probably the worst day of filming I'd had up until a certain point in Nightwing it, later. But um, like, yeah, well, believe was, me, that there's yeah, oof, that, that's that, the day I look back on them like, oh, poor Alex, like man. But somehow, I got through it. I remember I didn't sleep that much. Uh, the next day, I woke up early. I took a train with my assistant director, John Rodriguez, who's still a good friend. And we went to the city. I went all the way out to the West Side Yards to pick up the freaking car. It was like two hundred dollars. Then drive to the apartment location, somehow get in, get the equipment, including the dolly and all this heavy light gear, RE kits and everything, just us, bring it all the way down, load up, go back to Long Island at rush hour, <laughs> shoot another <laughs> Batman and Poison Ivy scene. <laughs> it just was nuts. And, like, we show up to my house, that's where we're shooting it, in the backyard, which actually works well for, like, Ivy's greenhouse location somehow, if you frame it right, which we did. And everyone else who had gotten plenty of sleep and gotten home fine and gone to work and gotten off and you know they had a stressful work day whatever but they got rest they they had their day i didn't they were all like oh alex is late like that that was the mentality i got when i walked in <laughs> they should have been lucky you wouldn't like snap them. at them or oh, something. well so that that day we wrapped that scene then we had the scene where we were filming in the park with the with the ill-fated home depot thing and it didn't work they couldn't get it going oh. and the actor one of the actresses and i got into it i think poison ivy we she was just complaining about everything she'd been going through. And at this point, I'd not slept and I was like in debt. And I was, you know, had just stressed myself out with everything that we still had to shoot and everything we had just, I just somehow managed yeah. to like get a, It was like Millennium Falcon getting out of that giant worm's mouth. <laughs> I just managed to barely <laughs> get us out there. Right. I just, I did that somehow. Like we could have uh. gotten eaten easily and we probably deserved to, but I got us through. Mm. But nobody, not nobody, but a lot of the actors were not grateful. And, I'd had it. It was the first and the only time I feel like I've really snapped back at an actor, oh. and I held my own, and I stood my ground, and, you know, I uh, I got a little emotional, and um, I had to be pulled away by the guy who played Gordon, Joe, and he he gave me some, you know, support of talking to, and everyone sure. eventually decided, okay, no, we got a wrap, because, like, I think they saw the state of mind I was in, yeah. even though they kind of knew now, they okay, they knew, oh, we can't just keep doing this, it's raining anyway, we can't get this stupid generator going Let's call it. We'll, we'll figure out the plan tomorrow, you know, but let's take a week off. And then we only have this one last sequence, the climatic fight with Batman and Ivy. Just get that done another day. And um, it was the only night. But I, I learned even then that sometimes to, you rattle the cage a bit. Like everyone gets so comfortable and like oh, the how cage. the set's going that if one person freaks out a little bit, it unnerves and wakes everybody up. And, and almost going back to, to, to kind of wrap this back because I'm sure. trying to contextualize shit. Uh, wrapping all way back to Jaws, you kind of had your shark <laughs> isn't working moment. Yeah, many times. <laughs> you know that Spielberg didn't even want to be there for the final shot of the film because he thought really? the crew was going to hurl them into the water. <laughs> so he yeah, took an I early flight that. out with Richard Dreyfus. Oh, really? Yep. Yeah. And yeah, so it's well, just... I know on that shoot, everybody got used to the shark isn't working, yes. the shark isn't working, yeah. And you know, a nightmare, but I felt that, you know. Yeah. And I'm like, for a long time, up until some shoots in Nightwing, which really not as bad as some hothouse shoots went because I was more prepared, but shit still went down. But like, yeah, for a long time, my friends and I were on the crew, joked, like, was it hothouse bad? I'm like, no, it wasn't because it was like oh. a melting point. And we got it done, we ended up working out where one of the actresses who played Jane Kalesa, her uh, house. Mm-hmm in Locust Valley, New York, which is a mm -hmm. nice part of Long Island. She had this expansive, I mean, she, she was wealthy and her family was wealthy and they had this beautiful like garden in the back with acres of like trees we could mm. use. And we ended up doing that for the final sequence. And it looks, looking back on that, like I would have edited the fight completely differently, but man, like for what it was at the time, 
it was, I'm impressed with it still because like we pulled it together and we had dollies and a good fight scene and good makeup and Ivy had this really nice outfit and Batman looked legitimate and it, it, it mostly worked. There's a lot of it in there that mostly works, but we also at the time wrote a big part for the guy who played Glenn Calloway who then follows into Nightwing. Right. Because Brian, who played Batman, was trying to move out of Connecticut at that point in time he lived, so he wasn't around all the time, and we had to work around the shooting schedule. And since I wanted us to have, I needed more of a reason for Ivy to be a villain, so I threw, I wrote in Glenn Calloway, this this cop who's conflicted and having problems with his wife, oh. and working with a dirty cop named Jane Kalesa, who also happens to be moving Poison Ivy around on the figurative chessboard of Gotham. And yeah, yeah so a lot of those ideas stemmed. And Nightwing came from Hot House. In fact, in season three in the new episode, when Loeb is watching the TV with Collins in the, in the beginning of episode four, they're watching Hot House and dialogue from Hot House is playing. As I, I know this. Day, I, I think I also know. Yeah, yeah, I noticed that. That's what we call in the industry an in-joke. <laughs> yeah, very meta. To the yeah. point where Deadshot's walking in and it's it, it's it's playing the scene where Glenn Calloway gets killed. And mm-hmm. Glenn Calloway in the story just got shot but somehow moved away. Spoilers, sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it just was a funny little moment, but no, Hot House I learned a lot on, and I think from that point on, I, after that wrapped and after I was kind of done with school, I wanted to, I'd always loved Nightwing as a character, the idea of someone who swore so much loyalty to an ideal and a person who then grows kind of weary of that, but still has the same drive, but wants to put that energy in a different way with his own flag that's not red and yellow and he wants to make it his own symbol and his own yeah. meaning and he, he doesn't want to be like a, he doesn't want to be a flying grayson he wants to be some type of thing in the middle between robin and batman yeah and he does his own thing and i think that's cool and he eventually gains batman's respect for it even though it's like a tough love like break thing yeah um and and so and i know that that came about that because because the way that you're talking about batman hothouse was kind of really your baby <laughs> It was, uh, yeah. you know, as far as the script and directing, but but uh, Nightwing was a little bit more of a collaboration. Uh, it's I always I always had the ideas in the beginning, and then I met John Caballero, who would go on to play Nightwing, doing auditions for a project which I thought was going to be a mockumentary, poking fun at behind the scenes of Hot House, all mm. the hijinks that had went on. I wrote this like big script, but we scrapped it because for whatever reason at the time. I thought John was the man to be Nightwing, huh. and he was going to lead us into this new generation with Nightwing defending the city, and I'll have the Birds of Prey, and I'll have Catwoman, and I'll have Joker, and Riddler, and Ivy, and all these things, and all these things, and it's like, quickly learning, like, wow, this this got a little out of hand. <laughs> Even in season <laughs> one, there's so much going on that yeah. it's like, God, how could anyone watch this and be like, where's this going? So I totally understand people's frustration with well, the first season well, because I could, well, I could all say these that, side uh, characters. Well, I could say, I mean, there are some episodes of that of that season I haven't seen in a little while, but I rewatched a little bit of the the first episode, and I, I still like, there's a quality to the filmmaking that I actually kind of respond to just in the sense of, um, I sometimes like seeing like a gritty approach and whether that was due to budget or whether that was just due yeah. to the quality of the camera, right. it, <clears throat> it has a distinct it has feel, a feel to, to it. it. Yeah. I look back on it too. And I'm like, wow, this is really gritty. And like, it, there's this news broadcast done by the producer, Audrey Larray at the time, who really helped me at the beginning with the project. And I think she even co-edited that with me, the first episode. Yeah. So a lot of that is all credit to her. But there's this news broadcast where she played Vicky Vale talking about, like, oh, Dr. Clemp, the scalpel was killing people with a lame villain. Anyway, um, then, then it cuts to a random, like, a random the apartment, scalpel. and she's just going in to shower. I, I will, I will say, I don't her. know if, yeah, the scalpel is, 
that was one part of the female episode villain, though, watching that again. She was a female villain. I didn't realize I was doing that at the time. Like, oh, wait, but she's the main villain of this. It's a female. It's not just like, it's not Joker. It's not Two-Face. He's in there. Right. There's, there's also, there's a lot, just way too much focus on Harvey Dent at the time. And I want to see Nightwing. There's a show, Nightwing Escalation, where is Nightwing? Well, it's tough, though. But well, well, I can understand, though, where you might be coming from with it, though. Because, you know, again, you're coming right off of seeing The Dark Knight. It's, you know, when that movie came out, it's... I, I am almost now of the opinion where it maybe got a little too big, maybe yes. maybe got a yeah. little too much attention. But at the time, that was just people hadn't seen was, something like that before. It was so because I feel like it was the first comic book film which transcended the genre of being a comic book film. It became it tried to be more like a like Michael Mann yeah, crime like, like movie heat or something, and. And yeah, because and Harvey Dent was probably the most compelling part of that story. Yeah. So well, you want to try was, to honestly? Well, no, no. Well, yeah, it's, it's the Joker, but uh, I know what you mean. As far as like a as far as a more journey. as far as someone that was a character that had depth. Yes, I agree. Yeah. Um, uh, so maybe that's what inspired me <clears throat> at the time. But yeah, I look back on that and I'm like, I who mean, knows? Maybe if you rough, but... maybe if you had come off of Dark Knight Rises. Oh. <laughs> You would have put bear. I in saw there. that film and I loved it the first two times. Then the third time I saw it, I'm like, wow, this is really bad. Did What's you going love on it? there? I did. Remember? This... I think we both spoke about it. I, was, I don't really because I, I dude, thought you were we shot losers like two days after. Yeah, I know. This is I getting into it. This is getting a little inside baseball for the listeners, but yeah, we um the weekend literally the weekend after uh, uh Dark Knight Rises came out, um uh, Alex and I were producing this uh uh, television pilot called Losers, yeah. uh, which I think you can you actually it's can on, watch uh, on Amazon. Amazon. Yeah, make directed, sure to watch. Produced by directed by former great Carlos Del Rosario. Directed by former local vocal guest Carlos Del Rosario. Woo! I Carlos should mention amazing. that. I love working with but, him. Um, and Zach Abramowitz also produced it. But also that, but that weekend. We it almost got a little distracting because we kept making Dark Knight Rises jokes. The DP Bobby Sensabero and I, who worked together on Nightwing, we met because of that. He and I kept making Bane quote jokes because, but and they would well, go over everyone's help head it. because yeah. Oh, I so also oh, some people didn't know about it. I don't think everyone had seen it. If I recall, I don't know if you'd even seen it. No, no, I had. Okay. I had seen it you that were one Friday. Of them. Okay, so then there are few that didn't see it. Oh, but I thought that you were making fun of it because you didn't we were like making... it. No, I, at the time, I think I was. <laughs> I had being some sincere. problems with that movie. Oh no, believe me, I look. It's. I have a letter from Jim Gordon. Yeah, I kept it in my jacket the whole time. It's not. Gotham is yours. It's just such a problematic. It's clearly the, not the film no one wanted to have made. I mean, I think we can all agree on that. There were some changes that were made because Heath Ledger, amazing, died, died. and they, whatever yeah. angles they had with Joker had to be thrown out the window. So yeah, but anyway, but going back to Nightwing. So yeah, so you have this project that's yeah, it starts off with uh, with that season. So. Was it almost was the intention to have it be that gritty? Was that almost just, or was that just kind of like a byproduct of of what you had? I think a lot of it was the low budget cameras we were using. Yeah, I think part of episode one and two were shot on a Canon XH A one, which was a mini DV camera, which just mm. tended to have a grainy look when it was in low light. Yeah, and my dinky little Rebel T one I, the Canon model. <laughs> So the T oh the T one I is super gritty and I remember there's Before a fight the scene in the at the end of episode one uh, where Harvey Dent is ambushed by some thugs at at the docks of Gotham yeah, and uh, yeah. it was very gritty looking I mean it wasn't greatly w- well shot or edited but uh, that was my fault but like it just it has a certain look and episode two had that too um, and then we finally get to three when Bobby Sansevero steps in as DP and all of a sudden uh, yeah. we have a nice. So it's not just me. Well, I see. Well I, well, I remember the first time that you had. Uh, I don't know if this is delicate to talk about, yeah, but sure. the first, the the first Catwoman. 
Ah, that was when I remember. Well, no, 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 no. But no, but I only bring that up because that was when I first noticed the the new camera. Yeah, yeah, the the technology changing because it's you know people watch watching stuff today and not really knowing about the history of how our technology has changed so radically. Gigantic gaps with DSLR. I think it was a five D that Bobby brought on or something. It's so crazy because I mean when I was in college, you know, I I didn't always have access to the cameras that were were there maybe i should have taken out stuff more but you know i would just have like a little jvc camcorder that costs <laughs> like 200 bucks yeah and then you know then i and then i graduate to a dvx 100 yes, right you know that's the one that i sh- you know i shot lines of glory and yeah. a couple other things on and uh <clears throat> oh, what a fun camera you know and it's it's kind of crazy how the technology it used to just be you rent out a camera put in some 35 millimeter or 16 millimeter film that's it but now it's like, you know, all these different cameras and all this There's different so technology. Yeah. I mean, the Sony a7 III just dropped, and that's changing cameras, the landscape of that again, too. Like, yeah. I mean, it, it, the technological jumps are huge. And I, I, I've learned so much throughout the production, especially now with season three, where I really took a step back and allowed other directors to come in and play basically with mm. all my action figures and. <laughs> it's, a, it's a weird feeling. Play but with like, your action figures? What well, do you figuratively. Mean? Like, you know, uh, oh, here's Nightwing, here's Huntress, here's Black Canary. And, like, even though I wrote the things with my co-writers, Louis Correa and David Gibbons, but they, but but they, the director, can change mm. all that with how they drive the scene, how they want the scene to look, how they, whatever changes they want mm. to bring. So would you say that you're kind of like the showrunner? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't always like to use that term because I'm not, like, Stephen Moffat or something. Yeah, but like, yeah you're not Joss time, Whedon on Buffy. No, but I do... I do, uh, you know, I know all the angles. I know where everything's going. I know, <clears throat> and I've learned to put my foot down on certain things if I really feel strongly about it. Sure. And I've, there have been more than a f- several days where I've seen, and it's not to slide anybody I've worked with, but, you know, certain choices were made. I look back on the editing bay and I'm like, damn, I sure have said something. Mm. But I was just trying to be respectful. And, like, it, it's, 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 gr- it's learning to walk that line between letting the director do what they want while mm. you also essentially hold final cut even yeah. in the room over whatever choices mm-hmm. all the actors and him and the dp are making and you can change it if you want right right oh i okay. don't want to step on their feet so i choose so, not to oh so yeah so so now though when like with somebody else is directing an episode are you still editing those or, or do they have more control uh so does i've been it, i've edited vary? all the episodes oh, okay. since season one continuing mm. um so <clears throat> now the last two episodes which have been put out online were directed by my good friend Jared DeCroach who's done an amazing job. Yeah, I was going to say that those episodes the it's just like sometimes it might just be because I was saying this off off mic that you know part of it's just because if the story is getting more intense you have to have like a a, a directing approach yeah. that is matching you know that you know you have to do you have to serve the material but the you know a lot of his uh, camera choices and then, god damn, David Howard Thornton is the Joker. David Thornton, I would oh I would god. tell you all you need to watch the latest Nightwing episodes if nothing else for him. <laughs> yeah, he completely it's like Godzilla in that scene. He's just man, it's crazy. Um, it, it, it gave me. It, I really felt like that was like a Joker out of. Like one of the good like classic comics. archetypal Joker. That's what my composer Anthony Sambucos characterized David mm. as. Like he's he brings it back to a classic. There's like and you can Joker. see like there's a good mixture in there because yeah, there's a, some... there's a little bit of there's just the tiny. I almost thought there was like the tiniest bit of Caesar Romero in there. A little bit. With, there's a Nicholson thing I know as he did. 
I didn't notice I that as much but at the, first. I, there's but... this eye thing he does where he like looks up in his eyes. <laughs> like, you get a low to me in that in the office scene in the, in the first oh, Batman yeah, film. Yeah. And he, he harkens. I think, I mean, David could correct me if he listens to this. I'm like, I didn't make that choice, you idiot. But I feel like I think he did. Smile. <laughs> Not again. I'm not going to let you do this to me again. Life's a beat <laughs> Oh, that's a good shot. <laughs> oh, yes. I own you. <laughs> oh, you are my greatest punchline. <laughs> now, if only you could give me a standing ovation. <laughs> ah, how does it feel to know that everyone you relied on is gone? Hmm? Batman's left. Nightwing's taking the old dirt nap. <laughs> how does it feel to be so useless? I should put you out of your misery. What are you planning on doing, huh? You're about as useless as your legs. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing? Another down. Um, oh, you know, you can tell that he's he's a great he, student of the Joker. He, he is the Joker. I mean, um, I, I think really with casting, that's one of the biggest things we've been lucky about in this project is like everyone we've cast in certain roles as yeah. Jim Gordon. Maybe you could talk. Maybe about not that everybody, person. but for the most part, Jim Gordon, Alfred, Barbara Gordon, Helen the Burton, Nowy, uh, the, the Joker, Amanda Waller, like Deadshot, like yeah, Wonder gonna, Woman. We've even, been yeah, we've even been the really small lucky roles. With, yeah, because like, I noticed that actress who played Amanda Waller. That was a good. Yeah, part. Lisa McCants is amazing. She's a former prison guard, and she brings a lot of mm-hmm. like knowledge of that system and that kind. Kind of going through that every day for yeah. however long she did mm-hmm. to the role it really requires that like Waller's just to be a very scary person and she definitely is so are you looking for like do, do like does the actor need to do they need to already be familiar with the no. character or is it just like they need to know what type of character it is i really i i bring them on because i trust them as an actor they okay. convinced me in the audition they convinced me when, when they're on set so i do give direction but a lot of times i if they're aimless and none of the actors that we work with are, but I trust them to get the performance part down. That's not to say I don't direct. I do. I have sure. screen directed, but like I very collaborative. I think it's, it's a two, it's a two way street and we're both mm. trying to find the, the best way to tell this vision of this scene or what right. it's about or what's driving the characters or what, what they are like mentally in that scene. And yeah, um, they, they, I don't expect them to be familiar with the series. That's ridiculous because I mean, who would want to be with season one? <laughs> And I don't expect. Them oh, to oh, know oh no! All the I, comic didn't, I didn't even mean. Yeah, I didn't even mean the rest of Nightwing. I just meant like the comic comics books. themselves. Uh, it helps for sure. You like, know? do you tell them like maybe read this? I one gave or that one? Maya mentioned it when she was on the your podcast last time. Oh, um, yeah. But it, I gave her like five, six Gail Simone Birds of Prey books because we took a lot of cues from that, obviously. Right. Um, yes. Yes. Catalina Murstein, who is amazing and plays Barbara Gordon, she 
is a huge Batman fan and geek, so she knew all that leading okay. in, and that, that helped with that. Uh, David Thornton, Joker, obviously knows so much about the Joker more than I probably do. Mm. Um, oh, Rocco Ciricella, co-producer, who also plays Deadshot, Floyd Lawton. Yes. Like, he knows he is Deadshot as much as David Thornton is Joker. Like, they both bring that familiarity. No. Lisa McCants, who plays Waller, probably didn't know as much about Waller because... Really, unless you're a diehard fan, even if she's on Arrow or Smallville, like, you're not going to know much about the character. Right. Like, who cares that she was in Suicide Squad, the new one? Like, I, even though she was great in that, honestly, the performance was great, just was badly written. Like, I was like, oh, but maybe that will help her break through mainstream. But I don't expect the, the performers to know the source material. Um, well, that's good. <laughs> yeah. I'm curious. This is a small side note because you brought up uh, Rocco Churchella. Was yeah. that, is that his, is that his costume? So I met Rocco through co-producer Zach Abramowitz. We went to this bar in Astoria, and it was during season two. It was latter half, and at the time, we were having a lot of issues with our lead actor, who was playing Dick Grayson. Mm. And we were kind of trying to think of a creative way around whatever problems we were dealing with. So when we met Rocco, he's an, he's an actor, and he's hungry for more, for more, you know, to do more things creatively. And he's a big Deadshot fan. And right then I knew, like, oh, wait a minute. Now I, I know how to, how to get around this problem. And just throw in Deadshot. And he had been a Deadshot fan. He had created that, cos that, that cosplay. He doesn't like to use the word cosplay. But Rocco, you're a cosplayer, sorry. Uh, he didn't like to use that outfit as Deadshot. Uh, so we, he, oh, wait, he did want to, sorry. He wanted to. And it just made sense that he was able to bring that to the show as the character. Mm, okay. That's cool. I, I didn't expect that heavy response. Like, oh. I didn't want to bring up anything that if it was anything uncomfortable or no, anything. No, like it's that. okay. I'm comfortable to talk about like whatever. Um, yeah, I mean, it's no secret that in season two, spoilers, Dick Grayson is killed off probably, un I think ceremoniously, but I'm sure others would disagree. And that caused quite a stir. And that was a crazy decision to make at the time uh, to kill off your titular character after years of building up to his first appearance and really carrying the torch from Batman literally handed to handed to him at the end of one episode in season one. Then he's in season two. He, he actually finally has a full fight scene, but he dies. I mean, that's crazy. I, yeah, I well, it's, well, it's, was, well, it's pulling the rug out from your audience. Yeah. It was a big jolt. And season three took a long time to come out after he made that decision. And there are probably a lot of doubters who are like, now we're maybe coming around. Maybe they still hate the show. I don't know. Cause we did that. But like, I remember we had, a very successful screening at Florida Supercon one year. And I was with Carlos and uh, this my our good friend, Alan Imperial, who's kind of, I guess, an associate producer on it. He's a great guy. And he, we had this big screening. It was packed house for season two, both episodes, because they're very short. And I was like, I got intimidated for the first time. And I knew that these fans in the audience, who some of them were kids in Batman or Nightwing t-shirts or costumes with their parents, like, great, they're going to hate me. They're going to think I hate Dick Grayson. They're going to think I didn't respect anything. They they're gonna think I just all I wanted to do was like muck around with the material and and put so, my finger up. So at what it. was the act? What was the reaction? Uh, <laughs> was it was it mixed? People were very into the fight scene. They were really excited. They were into it. The editing and everything. I think it's a good sequence. It still holds up now. Uh, but then when they get on the roof and Nightwing wins the fist fight with the two thugs, but then gets knocked out firstly by Jane Kalesa's gun, which was another contention point people were not happy with that he was oh nightwing would see that coming he would he would have been trimmed by batman he knows how to stop a gun hit and part of me is like yeah but dude he's been throttled around by these two guys who are clearly on some drug so it's not like he just had a day at the park he gets knocked down dead shot shoots her and him and 
yeah. I remember he stands up and people think it's going to be over and he won or dodged the bullet and he just gets shot and falls to the ground. And there was like a hush. It was the first time I'd done some work that really moved people to like a level of either anger or disgust or just like, what the hell? Why would you do that? And we had a panel after. Oh. And uh, it was not difficult. I was ready to explain without throwing anybody under the bus, deservingly or not deservingly that we had come to an impasse with a working relationship and that we weren't seeing eye to eye anymore. And it was not looking to be logical or possible to continue going the way we were. And I think other people who were involved in the production on an acting level were becoming dissatisfied with working with people who may or may not have cared as much as they thought. And it was disrespectful to them. And I was thinking about their needs and the project's needs. And it's not just about one person. It's not about me. It's about ending this project in the best way. And I didn't feel like telling the same story we were going to tell right. was going to work. And and some of them agreed with me. Like I, uh, I think that Johnny's performance as Dick Grayson was divisive. I don't think everybody was for it. I don't think everybody was against it. It was in the middle. And if it's a titular character, that's the one lesson I learned is like, you have to know what you're working with from an acting perspective, a writing perspective, if they're mm. not nailing it, then don't do it. It happens all the time in film. And uh, you don't right. have to be Kevin Spacey to have that happen to you, but it happens, you know? Like, people are not going to like something you're doing, and they're going to want you off the island, and you should listen to the audience, and that's the, what I learned at the, the time. The Edward Norton Hulk thing? Yeah. Like, well, yeah. I mean, in a way, uh, we did have... So that was a Saturday screening. On Sunday... We had another screening in panel at like 11 a.m., which is kind of like a dead zone on a Sunday. Who's going to want to go to that? Uh, it was all part of this geek film festival they had at the Supercon, which was really well put together. And same thing. We had a much smaller audience, which is almost more dangerous. <laughs> and then it came in, and same. It's like Batman and Nightwing fans, DC Comics kids, cosplayers. And I'm like, oh, my God, they're going to hate me when this ends. And then this this time, I knew I pissed them off because the, the screening ended. Nightwing died, and... Um, Alan was like, okay, guys, if you'd like to stay, there's a, there's a, there's a panel with a, the, the showrunner, Alex, over here. And everybody just left the room, and I got, like, scornful glances from parents and, like, hateful looks. And <laughs> 12-year-old me was like, what have you done? This is Dick Grayson. You love him. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, man, but, like, I had to kill it because he was dead to me anyway at that point. Like, I wasn't feeling it. It wasn't working. It clearly wasn't working. Mm. Um, I understand. It, it was a it was a tough thing, and I, I understand if people who were involved in that decision aren't happy, and if they don't think I'm a good person, that's on them, and that's fine. I I've learned that being a director, you have mm. to make the tough calls. You're always going to get questioned by somebody. You can't be well liked by everybody. Do you, do you feel? Making. Do you feel any diff, Do you feel differently about now than like at the time it happened? Like has any time distance kind of? Uh, I mean, now feelings? we've been so involved in the new angles of the of season three that I, I yeah, it, it's a completely different show in my opinion. Season three, the two mm. to one, it, it barely right. similar. I mean, characters return and plot lines return, <clears> but stylistically it's very different mm. and uh i think each episode flows into another really seamlessly and i don't think we had that before and also we've never released the episodes like month by month by month like we had this year with the season and i think we've done that right which is all credit to jared and amber really <laughs> smith for pushing me to do that is Thank the you. is the show gonna continue like in that vein yeah well release schedule wise we are um in december we have december 8th we'll see the release of the miniseries catwoman ataraxia which stars oh. Brittany Rose Parker as Serena Kyle Catwoman, and it's directed by actress Kristen Seavey, who also is in the show. So who did that'll she play? see release. Uh, Kristen plays Julie Hartman, Glenn Calloway's widow. 
She's okay. In, uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. I'm yes. sorry. So, I, I I know exactly what you're talking about now. I'm sorry. It's my my apologies, if, Kristen, if you're listening. Uh-oh. Um, I I do I I know. I, I like your work. Yeah. Uh, so. And then in the new year, I guess, yeah, we have to form a, a new release schedule for all the other episodes that are going to be coming out, which a lot, you know, we've shot up to like about episode seven or eight of like a hypothetically 10 episode season. So ultimately, when you add up all the episodes, it might come out to like a feature gonna, length thing? Well, maybe. I mean, it, it already got a little weird because honestly, um, in episode three, there's a scene at Loeb's house. Episode four, sorry. That, a scene where Gwen Calloway gets to Loeb's house and confronts him about, like, how am I alive? That scene is supposed to be in the, in the third episode that came beforehand because Nightwing has dialogue with Proxy about Loeb's death. Now, the way okay. I, I, I edited it was I opened the episode, like, oh, this is 12 hours ago and this is now, and Nightwing's already been suited up and, and going around the city defending people and shit. So mm-hmm. it was like, oh, this is the only way to make that work. But, like, my point is, like, some scenes are being shifted around and some directors are getting more credits than originally thought to be for those two mm-hmm. episodes because we're trying to keep things under like 20 yeah. minutes under 17 minutes and mm. we've been pretty good with that cool. i think this time and i just think it, it flows better people have such a short attention span season mm. one had like 25 or 23 minute episodes like that's like a short film that's crazy i i, I mean i don't know because sometimes i wonder about that like because you have people who like I don't know. Again, this is maybe a bad example. Um, mm. Like, but like the Cinema Sins, I think they used to have really short videos, and now they have longer ones. I'm, yeah, I'm uh, not as much a fan of them anymore. I'm not either. I used to be. But... I know it's a weird comparison to make. No, it's okay. Um, I was steering the conversation a little bit though, because sure. um, <clears throat> you also have another job, which uh, I don't know if we could say it. Like, maybe it's kind of how you do part of your living uh, that you're a photographer. Yeah. So, um, how did that start? Oh, when did I, I, I guess I'd always been taking pictures, whether it's on like a, a crappy photo camera as I traveled a lot. And I just kept going with that. And I would always be photographing things. And I just like the idea of capturing moments in time. And then I know it sounds cheesy as hell, but like, that's it. Like whatever moment you capture, that's almost a way of, of like telling time because you're never going to be able to visit that moment again, other than in your head or on the photo. And I began to work with other actors at Hofstra and doing some photo shoots there. It steered more towards like a glamour kind of beach approach at one point away from like headshots and stuff. But now then I got into cosplay and that opened up this whole other like bag of worms. And like, yeah, I've been doing cosplay photography for the last like three or four years and been involved in a group called nerd caliber. Uh, Shout out to them. And uh, yeah, I mean that, that that's been the perfect marriage of like geekdom and photography for me. Mm. So that so really cool so was the, so that kind of came at around the same time as Hofstra too. Uh, cosplay started more after. Oh no, Hofstra. I meant the photography the part. The photography, yeah, around the same time. So that was connected with I, film. I, I, I was too. always like doing BTS on sets and stuff. I mean, I guess it doesn't count for much, but I was still always working that muscle in my head. Okay. And at a certain point, I began to see that. I mean, I think I'm decent <laughs> at doing it and taking photos and working with people mm-hmm. that I can pursue it as uh, ways of income and creating more art and yeah i've just been doing that since then and i've really had the privilege to work with a lot of awesome models and cosplayers and people and of all walks of life and i think it's been it's yeah been rewarding. well that's it's another very varied it's all over the place well it's interesting too how it, it that again how the cosplay part of it fits in because that you could say you know it's a little connected with you know the fact that you're doing this web series it's connected with dc yeah you know that is almost in its way a little bit of like a cosplay thing except that 
you know, because you, you know you have people do it in different disciplines, but have like the same type of serious mentality. Okay, I want to put this effort into what yeah. I'm doing. I mean, it is really nuts with some cosplayers, what most cosplayers put themselves I've seen some life. of it. I've even seen, it's you know, because we brought up Maya Murphy, who, you know, I, I was happy to have a guest on the show. You know, seeing her as a uh, Hellboy. Yeah. Was... Uh, she's so talented. <laughs> whether, whether it's her as Cersei or Hellboy, mm. man, dude, like she, she brings it. And, um, <laughs> the amount of work they put into an outfit, which they're only going to wear for like a few days of their life, is crazy. Yeah, but it's amazing because mm-hmm. of how true the form it is, or whatever spin they're putting on it. If it's different, um, so do yeah, the so it's... the models that so the so the photographs are they use it for like their own like photo. Uh, yeah, some things? of them make prints. A lot of cosplayers get booked at conventions, and a way for them to also spread word about their art or give fans something in return is they mm. sell prints of their photos. Um, so a lot of my work has are in print form for various cosplayers who have, you know, made themselves names around different parts of the country or whatever. Uh, that's one thing they get. And also, I think that like what the funny thing about it is that they also get so much better at modeling through constant oh. being around the con floor all day and being stopped for photos by so many people. Like you eventually have to figure out your angles, how to stand, how to right. look, how well, to hold beca- yourself. Well, also because uh, uh, you know conventions. I mean, again, I haven't been to two. I'm, you know, I've been to the ones like, for example, at New York Comic Con. That's like its own city. That's yeah, that can be what intense. An overwhelming experience that is sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> it's a lot. I mean, there are times I dread it as long as many cosplayers and cosplay photographers do throughout the year. But you also look forward to it, and then you also whine about like the lines or the cost of tickets, which is ridiculous now. But like, you still go. I'm still going, so I guess I can't hate it that much. <laughs> right, and you still see yourself continuing on with this as well. Yeah, I do. Um, I, I definitely think it, it, it's a very interesting community, just like the acting community is. Uh, there's a lot right. of opinions, and it can get political at points. And there's a lot of, like, well, oh, sure. people who want large social media followings and people who don't want that or people who don't care about having an Instagram or Facebook page catered to their cosplay. To them, they're just mm. that person, and I'm just cosplaying for fun. It's well, not was, about ego. Yeah, well, I was going to say, I don't know if social, it is about ego, well, but... social media has probably changed so much of that oh, because it, it used to be that, you know, if you wanted to go to a convention and, you know, I like Star Trek, I'm going to go as Kirk, I'm just yeah. going to dress up in like a little Kirk outfit, right. and, you know, that would be the end of it. But yeah, now, but now you, get, you can get judged for that <laughs> by others, <laughs> low key judged or side eyed. And uh, other cosplayers have said this about other cosplayers they see, like, Say one someone is dressed as Black Canary, another Black Canary, like she'll compliment her, and then the other Black Canary will be like, "Yeah, just, just give her like a real like I don't care look. I'm better than you." As like not even a thank you for the compliment. And that's it's a little cool. bit like it's all, maybe there's an element of like high school or something, where you have cliques. There's there's a lot of good apples on the tree, but it is a very high schooly environment in my opinion. And if somebody disagrees with me, then that's fine. Whatever, everyone can have their own opinion. But like in my experience, <laughs> yeah, it's very competitive. Uh, it's some people are really out for that ego and themselves and others are very much about collaboration and loving each other in a circle of geekdom and everything. Mm -hmm. And that's very accepting of people of all types of creeds and sexual orientation and genders. And I think it's really cool in that way. Um, and there are also ways where some cosplayers shouldn't do certain things where a white person will go blackface for a certain character oh. and then be hate mailed and they should be because like that's really offensive yeah. or they'll try and defend that well, decision well I was going to say more, that you, know, you, you could say that cosplay like you know certain movies or TV 
it's it, you know that, that's like another example of you know what kind of culture are we living in right now and what kind of attitudes are yeah, being represented it's reflective of it um, right but I, I never i didn't really think about that aspect of it the yeah. fact that like yeah, like what if like a like a white woman goes like as Pocahontas? Like, or I'm gonna something be Storm, too. and you go blackface and get like a white wig. You're like, ah, it's not a good look for you. Like, <laughs> I don't know if you should do that. Or like a guy's like, I'm gonna be Black Panther, mm. and I'm gonna go blackface. Like, don't do it. Then Ooh. people would almost say, just don't go blackface. Just be Black Panther. But then in turn, because you would think they that... happen to be white or Latin, they'll be like, you're not black. You can't be Black Panther. Like, so it works both ways. It's like, but I just want to be T'Challa. I love that character. Uh... Why can't I just show my love for him without being judged? By all you people. Well, then you know to to paraphrase Batman Begins. Didn't you get the memo <laughs> about about blackface is no longer really yeah. a thing we do in society? Yeah, I mean it, it's an interesting group of people, and I have a lot of good friends in it, and I do love the community. Mm. Um, I but I definitely think that it's it's no secret, but it can be problematic, like any community. Mm. But very very competitive, and people say it's not competitive, and then they but it is, and. I don't know. It, it it it's definitely since when I got into it, grown to a huge amount. Where right. the fact, I mean, the, these cosplay models are getting booked at conventions, and as next to like a, an actor from the next generation or something, or a Power really? Ranger, you know. Oh, where, so they actually get paid to appear. Yeah, some of them, yeah. Because some of so some of them aren't just going there no, to enjoy the con. No, I mean a lot of them. Yeah, because I've paid seen because I've seen you sometimes post on it like on, <laughs> on social media, like, "Hey, I'm going to be at the con. Come come at me." Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, um. Yeah, and I think cons are great because they just bring everybody together. And like, there's a con every February in uh, Maryland called KatsuCon, which I love going to because sometimes you go to these conventions and like, there's a con family. Like, right. there are people you see only yeah. at these events, and you only oh, sure. get to hang out with them there or shoot with them there, and that's so cool. And yeah. I only get to see them there. And you have these friendships where you can like, if you want, I can go visit my friend Krista in Maryland or something. Like, just because we we bonded through cosplay sure. and things like that. Uh, you wouldn't. Yeah, there's so many good people and so many fun people in it that keep it going and really keep me a part of it. And the people would keep me a part of it because there have been more than a few instances where, like, many cosplay photographers or cosplayers or people involved in the circle in general, like, I've been like, yeah, I'm over this community. It's too dramatic. I, I had a bad oh. day. I had a bad experience with this cosplayer or this right. photographer or this con. Or well, it's also because it, well, too, they keep the, me coming back. They're well, good. the reason why I bring up the high school click part of it is also because you're dealing with people who are – you know, opening themselves up and making themselves vulnerable. That's Very where it's, brave. that's where it's a little similar to, you know, being an actor it where is. you have to open yourself up. You have to, the you know, criticism. even, even though, yeah, to criticism, even though you're not putting on a performance, you kind of are because you are putting on this thing. You might, you know, you're also, so a lot of cosplayers obviously show off their bodies and yeah. that becomes its I mean, own thing. Look, let's not mince words. It has become somewhat sexualized in some big ways. A yeah. lot of women, have Patreons, which people can then donate money to. And a great many of them also, like, have boudoir perks or, or lewd perks or whatever, and you pay a certain amount wow. and you get these photos. And But at the same time, for me, like, they're doing what they need to do to make their life go forward in the way they want, and I can't, huh. like, slam them for that, you know, honestly. If they're not, like, holding up Trump banners or, or nazi banners oh. or whatever you know what i'm saying like yeah doing well something that's just, positive and yeah don't don't uh maybe don't, don't, maybe don't bit. have any maybe Sorry. don't schedule any shoots with uh with uh, the alt-right <laughs> I, I, yeah, I don't unless they're getting punched in the face for real now um but, um, but I, that's, I think that's uh, interesting it's a great community and i'm really grateful for everybody i've met through it um cool. actually nightwing co-writer lewis who's helped me write this entire season along with david gibbons like yeah, I, if I if I hadn't met him, 
I don't know where Nightwing would be, honestly. Like, I really owe a lot to him in building the blocks of the story so mm. that other people can come in, like Rocco and Jared, and help me get everything going to the screen. Mm. Uh, but So his vi- and his vision gelled with what you had in mind. Yeah. I mean, he jumped on in season two, and uh, I think he knew also at that point that this Dick Grayson angle was not really going anywhere. we got to do something different. Mm. Like, this is not – we're trying, but we're, we don't have everything we need to make this work. And it's just not you... – it's going to hit a ceiling. So mm. what if we tried something else? And I, I don't remember exactly – it may have been Zach at Carlos's house suggesting that we go with Barbara Gordon as Nightwing. I mean, spoilers, but that's the direction the show is now heading. Yeah, and that was something that I wanted to bring up briefly sure. because that was – that actually wasn't what I was expecting. I actually was uh, – I, I maybe I didn't spoil myself or anything. I thought that it was still going to be like a guy taking like over the or role. Something? I don't know about Strife, a lot, about somebody. When, when Dick Grayson died, a lot of comments were like, it was Strife or Brooks going to become Nightwing. I thought and it was like, just going to become some random guy. Some random I don't know. I, I, have, I, have, I don't have a... Maybe I don't have great imagination for that. No, that's cool. But, I mean, but no, but that ended up being, you know, something interesting where uh, uh, where that, that, that type of situation can work, unlike a white guy going as T'Challa. You know, you, you can't... But no, but that's like the kind of thing where in comics now... Which can sometimes also be a little divisive, where, like, for example, Thor becomes a, a woman. Jane Foster, yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, and we knew that. We, we knew the opening ourselves up to that kind of criticism as well. And Louis Slimey and David made a very conscious choice to... She has to... Can't get the suit in episode one. And it was honestly also because I think Marvel's Netflix Daredevil had come out at that point. And spoilers for season one, but he doesn't get the full Daredevil outfit until like a good chunk of the season is already done. Right. They he... really make him earn his stripes to get to that costume. And we knew that if, especially if she's going to begin somewhat miraculously walking again, we need to get Barbara Gordon mentally prepared to be Nightwing. And even then still challenge that idea that, okay, you're Nightwing now. Sure. Like, let's see how you really do. Like, do you really want to do this for you? Are you doing it for Dick Grayson? Like, what's driving you? And, yeah. and that's going to be a question that will be answered in yeah. the series, really. And, and just to give a little extra context for listeners, because in the comics, and uh, I think, I don't know, if was this in the animated series, too, where Barbara Gordon is shot by the Joker and paralyzed? I don't think in the animated series they did that until the awful Killing Joke film, which came out <laughs> a year or two ago. Well, in, well, in the comic, in that comic book, it, that actually made sense. The, the, the yes. movie, we could, ha- I, we could have another conversation. Uh, I, I might have actually brought that up on... The podcast already yeah. before um joker breaks into the gordon's house and captures jim gordon kidnaps him tortures him and does the same yeah. thing to, his, to his daughter and also shoots barbara and cripples her that's kind of i guess you could say uh the kind of backstory you just i guess as you know making this series you kind of assume that okay people watching the series hopefully they know that is like an, a very iconic part of the yeah, story. Yeah, I mean, we alluded to it even in season one, the first Barbara Gordon episode we have, she's dealing with that that stress. Like, she has a moment where I think she just hears Joker's laughter and she can't get it mm-hmm. out of her head. So we planted the seed there even if we didn't mean to. Well, I think that the, the other important part of that, though, is that's kind of, that's a big part of, like, the pathos of that series. Yeah. Because otherwise, if you didn't have that, you would just have a lot of, uh, you know, like, you know, very good, but also, like, just scenes of characters talking tough and yeah. you know doing noirish exactly. type dialogue yeah see and i always felt like looking back that that was a problem even in better episodes of season one where characters would just talk and talk and i have this 
hmm. really overlong scene at Coney Island with Dina Cataldi, who's a wonderful actor. And um, okay. that, that it's was a, a pretty good, good scene. scene. But like, even I know, okay, you could have cut this here. Like, there's a minute of it at the end where I'm just like staring at her, and it's like beat, 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 and then I leave because oh. <laughs> I'm all upset, and I'm like, oh, Alex, <laughs> just like clicking one look and then left. Like, oh. you know. But you know, you're learn as you go, and yeah. uh, now scenes are shorter. Yeah. Um, so looking ahead, uh, so you want like, are there any like, so are there any non Nightwing projects that you could uh, like tell any listeners about? Anything in the works, maybe? Um, I have begun working on several concepts for different feature films, which I probably want to direct or produce or at least have a hand in. Um, and I might begin a horror film soon. Uh, I'm not quite sure, but we'll see where that goes. That'd be cool. Yeah. Uh, I, I definitely think, even in the last two episodes of Nightwing, there are a lot of horror film influences, mm. obviously. And um, there's this one sequence where these two cops are entering this house where one of them may have, or may not have been knocked out or something, and there's a lot of dread and creepiness to it. And I was really proud of how that sequence came out. And Jared's mm. direction really carried that into this giant, crazy Joker scene, which it was in mm. the last episode which came out. And I think that was the it's definitely the most emotional and startling and, and biggest right. stake scene we've had. And I'm really proud of that to have Great. that in there. Mm-hmm. It really stands out. Um, cool. Um, now this slide from the, I know you mentioned the Catwoman series is coming out <laughs> December 8th. Um, that I guess like we can almost say it's like kind of like a side cool type thing. Uh, so the, the reason behind the Catwoman series being a mini series was really because in different drafts of the script, she'd always been involved and many of the other previous Catwoman actors would tell you that, that something else was going to happen with the character that didn't. And even some stuff got shot with certain Catwoman that didn't even make it to season right, two. Right, Um Yeah, Catwoman we've had a storied history with. Just bad timing, I think, overall with various actors. And we finally got one that really worked out the best. And we gave her a miniseries because Serena Kyle just didn't figure into the narrative the way we wanted her to. Mm. Um, it's it's a, And that's one thing also. It's, it's a lot juggling all these different arcs, even if certain side characters are gone, you still have to simplify. You can't have... <laughs> That's why I'm amazed when a film like Civil War, Infinity Wars, seemingly is able to... All these different arcs are going on, all these different characters, and oh, it still sure. somehow works. Like, almost, you feel like it shouldn't, but it does. Yeah, there are so many plates spinning with Marvel. It's yeah. almost like... It's nauseating yeah, how are they... it. And there's <laughs> also times when it doesn't work, in my opinion, like with Defenders, which I thought was such a letdown. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, that's not... Ex- well, that's a different... I'm not going to say different. That That's more of like the TV series okay. world. And fun. I'm not saying you can cut them more slack, but I can, I'm talking more like the cinematic universe is where they're, yeah. they seem to be putting a lot of their, the TV universe, you know, that's also where we get Iron Fist, uh, which I'm not even, the worst. I'm not even going to watch that series. You shouldn't even, you know, I like I, I think it's one of the worst shows I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> <laughs> I saw a tiny scene from, this is just a, this has nothing to do with anything. We're just talking now. Sure. I, I, I saw a scene from that, from one of the episodes and the acting was so bad it was like the room level bad yeah every and, oh, that's not even counting the fight scenes and there are a thousand cuts per scene like it's just, yeah which is so bizarre because you see the early you, you see what they did on daredevil oh, and some of those, those fight scenes takes. you know yeah oh. the long takes and i mean i guess you could say that almost has its own problem because eventually that draws attention to itself too if it if it's, well, it's like if every long. season of daredevil is gonna have a long take fight it's like or it's another gimmicky. stairwell fight or... yeah you're gonna get gimmicky you don't want to work then you're almost parodying yourself at a certain yeah. point and it's like what are you doing but, but uh the one last thing I, I thought maybe we could plug for you um sure. so you're appear you actually are appearing with nightwing in a con this weekend 
Uh, yeah, Nightwing Escalation is going to be appearing once again at New York WinterCon at the Resort World Casino in Jamaica, Queens. Uh, this coming weekend, uh, we have a table at Artist Alley. We'll have various actors of the cast at the table helping promote. And then Saturday afternoon at 4 o'clock p.m. in the panel room, we will have a screening panel Q&A thing. So that should be a lot of fun. And yeah, that's exciting because we've been at WinterCon several years now. Mm. And this is the first year we've been able to have a panel about what we've been doing. And the first con ever where we kind of add this cocoon because for so long as season three is being shot... We were promoting it, but we couldn't, like, tell them what the twist was with Barbara Gordon or whatever. So, <laughs> I, I guess, yeah, it was hard right. to promote, but now we can do that. Mm. And Kat Mermelstein herself, as Barbara Gordon slash Nightwing, will be appearing this weekend, along with David Thornton, the wonderful Joker. Neat. And, of course, Rocco as Deadshot. So, yeah, come by Resort World Casino this weekend, then come by Artist Alley and take pictures and things like that. It'll be fun. Sweet. Well, Alex, this was really awesome. Having you on my podcast. You're really awesome. Oh. And uh, it has been really awesome to be on here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so pretty good talk. Uh, the last thing and, I'll uh, say to the Nightwing people is that I couldn't have gotten here without everybody who's come and gone on the show in any shape or manner. Like, and the team I have now, like, I'm really grateful to all you people for sticking with me. And because I think I'm crazy doing this and you've kept me level headed and going. So thank you all. Yeah, and, and again, for the regular wages listeners uh, around the world, because we have people listening in all, oh, all, all kinds of countries and stuff. Oh, yeah, we, we have uh, we have some... We have de- Did you just say Sokovia? Oh, sorry. Too soon. <laughs> they just made the accords, man. <laughs> they barely... The ink is barely dry. Tony Stark is still like, I just want to punch you right in your teeth. <laughs> um no, um, if you are uh, at all curious, I recommend uh, watching the Nightwing Escalation series on YouTube. Uh, even if you're just a casual fan of uh, Batman or DC Comics, you'll you'll probably get something kind of interesting and cool out of it. Um, also, one last little note. This is kind of like, I guess, I don't know if self-promotion is a word, but if, uh, if anybody's ever seen uh, my movie Green Eyes... Uh, Alex pops up in that as well <laughs> in a oh, rather man. what a fun scene it kind of an interesting memorable part in that and that's all I'll say uh you'll yeah. know him as soon as you see him I'll, I'll just say say that that scene inspired me to do more acting I was told by other actors really and my, and my co-performer in this scene is to pursue it more yeah like it was important for me that scene well, so I'm, it was big I'm kind of touched man, yeah, man. That, that's pretty cool um it was a fun time all right so uh with that said, uh, thank you once again for listening uh, to uh, lo- another local vocal. We'll try to do more of these uh, if we can. Uh, from Emory from Wages of Cinema, remember, the wages of cinema is death. Have a good night.